Hello, welcome to the Girl I Slept in My Makeup podcast by three sisters who live in three different states who are excited to talk to each other and also to learn and grow alongside of each of you. My name is Megan. I'm Kristen. And I'm Lauren. Hey, KK. Hey. Today, it's just me, Megan, and KK. Lauren is traveling. Uh, we're Did so- you just say me, Megan, and KK? <laughs> Yeah, is that <laughs> such a weird thing? That's hilarious. Well, Love I was it. just making sure, like, me, people knew that meant Megan. <laughs> okay. Now they know. I know. Now they know, in case they didn't. But we are excited about today's episode. We are interviewing one of Kristen's good friends, Catherine, who actually is a nurse in Nashville, where she's been a nurse there since 2014. And we thought it would be an interesting conversation to kind of get her point of view since she is working in the ICU in the COVID unit in Nashville. So we're excited to kind of get her viewpoint. Uh, She has worked three years in the emergency emergency department and three years in the ICU before she went back to school to become a nurse practitioner. And Catherine, uh, while she was looking for NP jobs, she started to see more cases of COVID coming up in Nashville, and she knew she could do more good as an experienced RN uh, than a brand new NP. So she currently is working in the ICU float pool at a local Nashville hospital, floating between the surgical ICU and the COVID ICU. But we'll let probably let her dive more into yes, that. Catherine, I'm, we're so excited you're here. Well, and she's actually one of my best friends here in Nashville. And y'all, gosh, like your resume is really impressive. And for <laughs> how old you are, I'm kind of le- going to let you take it away, Catherine. So sure. why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Awesome. Thanks. Well, first of all, I know Kristen because she was my neighbor in my old house and has now been my realtor. So we're like, you know, best friends yeah. turned you know, <laughs> sort of business partners. And she helped me get my Airbnb and stuff going. Yeah, um, cool. But for the purposes um, of this interview, I am a nurse. I have been a nurse since 2014. Uh, my background is in the ER and in intensive care. So I've worked at two different ERs here in Nashville. And then I've been in the neuro ICU at Vandy since 2016. And then like Kristen said, I'm a, I'm actually a nurse practitioner now. I went back to school to get my master's. Thank you. And I graduated and passed my boards right before all of this COVID craziness happened. Wow. And so I decided to pursue a contract position, um, an ICU contract position instead of trying to start out being a brand new provider in the middle of a pandemic. So I'm currently, I'm still part-time at Vandy in the neural ICU, but I took a full-time contract for 14 weeks in the float pool ICU at St. Thomas. So I float between the like general ICU and the coronavirus ICU. Wow. So crazy. So So what is it like? I feel like a lot of people just have like when I think of coronavirus, I think have y'all ever seen that movie? Oh, gosh, what's it called? That's like what I think of. And I'm blanking on the name of the movie. Is it like a pandemic? Yeah, it's a pandemic movie with Sean Penn. Uh, Gosh, I can't remember it. I don't think I know it. But that's like the vision I get where it's just like super intense and just like everybody's all over the place and there's, you know, just chaos. Chaos. (laughs) Um, So I'm just curious, like, since you're actually in it, like, what is it actually like? 
So it's interesting. A lot of um, a lot of people, especially those that are like not in the medical field, have asked me that question. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting because I have always worked either emergency or critical care. The you know, of course, the the patients that we're seeing that have coronavirus in the ICU are very sick, but that's kind of the general population that we see in the ICU. Right. Yeah. So people are very sick, but it's it's something that we are like we see Used people to. that are that are generally that sick right. all the time. Yeah. It may not be that sick with a respiratory illness. That's been something that's different for me in being float pool at St. Thomas is that at Vandy, you know, they're a very specialized ICU. So in the neuro ICU, you know, we have patients who of course will have pneumonias and such and be vented on top of having a neurological condition. But yeah, that's been an adjustment at St. Thomas is that you, you know, you see a variety um, of patients in the ICU instead of just one population. But overall, you know, everyone that works in a critical care setting is used to and is very skilled at managing patients who are critically ill. So that's still the population that we're seeing with coronavirus. So are you seeing more like more corona patients than regular, I guess, quotation mark, regular patients? Or is it kind of like equal? So kind of the way they have it split up now just to to, con- to contain the spread from inside the hospital is that all of the patients, they, they've turned the MICU, so the medical ICU, into the coronavirus ICU. Okay. And then the SICU, the surgical ICU, is kind of more of a catch-all ICU now. Usually it's just post-op patients, but now you know, you're seeing patients that would usually go to the MICU in the SICU. So the way that they kind of have that divided is that now all the patients in the coronavirus ICU have either tested positive for coronavirus or they have met criteria to be screening and we're waiting to get their test result. So anyone that has it or we believe could have it that's critically ill, Mm -hmm. they're all in the same ICU and we kind of treat people like they have it until we know otherwise. That way we don't put a patient who meets criteria down in the regular ICU and they're with all of the other patients. And then we realize, you know, they've been there for two days and then we get their test result back and they have it. And now they've exposed, you know, staff that's down there and other patients that are down there. So for that reason, we kind of keep them all contained. And the, the PPE situation is different depending on if you're in the COVID ICU or if you're in the regular ICU. So for people that don't know what PPE means. <laughs> PPE is personal protective equipment. And okay. so that changes just on like a day-to-day basis. If you go to the doctor's office and you're getting blood drawn and whoever's drawing your blood puts on gloves, that's PPE. Mm-hmm. Okay, so gotcha. that definition, you know, overall, it's just personal protective equipment. What is encompassed in that equipment changes based on whatever you're doing. So in the COVID ICU for either a positive patient or what we call a PUI, which is a patient under investigation for coronavirus, those are the people that have met criteria and we're waiting on their tests to get back. What PPE looks like for those patients is an N95 respirator, which is fit tested for each provider. There are many different 
shapes and styles and brands. And so you have to use one that's fitted for you. Wow. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it been, are y'all getting enough of the PPE material? Yes. So there was, there was definitely an issue with that in the beginning from, so where I am now, we, we haven't had an issue. There's been a little bit of an issue only with me in particular, because I, because I came from Vandy, I was Mm -hmm. fit tested at Vandy and Vandy has a different manufacturer than St. Thomas. So like I had to do, they had some of the masks that I was fitted for, but not a lot. So what that meant for me is that, um, like on my last shift, they kind of ran out of those that I was fit tested for. So I had to go just while I was on my shift, do another fit test for the kind that St. Thomas has and just basically find one of the ones that they had stock of that fits me. There's a test that they do. That's pretty quick actually that you put the mask on and you put your, put this little hood thing over your head and yeah. you spray. It's basically aerosolized sugar. That's wow. it's like, or it's aerosolized saccharin. So it's, it's that like really sweet artificial sugary taste and yeah. you spray it into the hood and you, you know, talk like normal and move around and they have you like march in place and stuff. And if oh, none funny. of that aerosolized saccharin can get in, that means that mask is the right fit for you because none of that aerosolized particle could get inside the mask. Oh, interesting. Cool. Interesting to know. So yeah. what would you say is like the hardest part about your job and like working in the COVID unit? Oh, gosh. It's hard to kind of narrow down just one. There are so many different aspects to critical care that make it difficult. Um, yeah. I think just like the, the physical demands of doing everything that I usually do, but in the full PPE has been a lot, you know, I just feel extra tired at the end of my shifts that are, you know, and there's, there's a big difference I feel between when I'm in the regular ICU and when I'm in the COVID ICU, just because of the extra burden of all the PPE. Yeah. And I think I interrupted you. What was the rest of the PPE that you have to wear in the COVID unit? Oh yeah. So you wear the the respirator mask and then you have a face shield which is just like a plastic shield that you know goes over your face it's kind of like a headband that has a shield attached yeah Um, Yeah. and then you're wearing a like a splash proof gown and then two two sets of gloves so you do like one set of gloves and then put the gown on top so that first set of gloves is you're never supposed to take those off those are like your they become your skin essentially and then after you get everything else on, you put another pair of gloves on top. And those are like wow. your gloves, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That does sound, I mean, even the extra clothing, I'm sure it's <laughs> probably just sounds silly in a way of like taking on and off that. Just yeah. Gonna add in like another layer Yeah. to your job. That's, oh my gosh. That's been something that's that's interesting too about all of that. The kind of the phrase has been, there's no emergency in a pandemic which kind of relates to like as a critical care nurse and especially someone who's worked in the ER, yeah. you know, if a patient is in any sort of distress, like my first instinct is to run in yeah, and you, you can't do that. You have to put all your PPE on. You can't just run oh, into wow. a patient's room, um, not yeah. only for yourself, but then if you get exposed, you know, and it takes two weeks for symptoms to show up, then you have exposed all the other patients that you're going to treat within those two weeks. So not just for myself, but for my coworkers yeah. and my patients, you know, you, you have to pause and put all that stuff on. 
oh, wow. no matter what's what else is going on. So that, speaking of that, do you, sorry, yeah. do y'all have to get tested like often, or is it just like if you start showing symptoms? No, so you... we get tested if we're showing symptoms or if there has been a break in PPE. So if there has been, I'm trying to think of an example because one hasn't happened when I've been working, but maybe someone because a lot of the N95s look the same. So if someone, you know accidentally grabbed the wrong one and realized halfway through their shift like oh I've been wearing an N95 that I'm not fit tested for you know then that could be you know a breach in in that PPE that's a potential exposure and so those people will get tested Um, but as long as you're asymptomatic and we have to take our temperature every day before our shift um, and there's you know a litany of symptoms that we have to confirm that we have not had before we're allowed to clock in. So we're, we're monitoring those things daily for healthcare workers. And then of course, if there are any of those symptoms or if there is a break in PPE, they'll test you. And just from what I've seen at Vandy and at St. Thomas is that that healthcare worker is basically on leave until they know. If there's, Until they know. Yeah, if there's risk yeah. of exposure, just because you don't want to expose other people and you don't want to expose other patients. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What I was going to ask, is there anything with, I'm sure just you being a nurse in the COVID unit, you have lots of people asking you questions. Is there anything that you kind of wish people knew or understood about this virus? Yeah, I think... Wearing a mask in particular, just like at the grocery store and like out and about is something that's been kind of interesting for me, you know, because I, if I have to go to the grocery store, really, uh, Blake, my boyfriend uh, has been doing all the groceries lately as much as he can. But if I have to go and I have to be out around people, I'm definitely wearing a mask just because my exposure level is high. Yeah. But, you know, I've had people say things to me at the grocery and I've, you know, had other nurses that I've worked with who are doing the same, who have had people, you know, kind of treat wearing a mask as more of a political statement than just, you know, yeah. trying to keep people safe. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a that's a big thing is that, you know, you're, you're wearing a mask to protect the people around you. Yeah. And someone that I worked with said, you know, why can't it just be like glasses? Like some people have to wear glasses and it's not a political statement, but you know, some people just have to wear glasses and some people have to wear a mask all the time. You know? Well, that's good to know. Cause I haven't like, obviously I'm not in the medical field and I, there's just so much conflicting information that goes around where it's like, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Like a mask can actually be bad for your own health if you have it on too long. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm so confused. Yeah. So I can clear some of that hear. up. Um, okay. That'd be great. Yeah. So especially because there are different levels of masks, you know, a lot of people when this first happened went out and ordered online those N95 respirators. Yeah. And kind of like I was explaining earlier, those have to be fitted to you. If it's not the right fit, it's basically a surgical mask. You know, it's it's gotcha. not doing anything above and beyond. So that's kind of a key difference between those. The surgical mask or the bandana doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily protect you. It protects yeah. everyone around you. So If you are someone who is out and about or who has to travel for work or who is exposed to the general public, wearing that mask is still a good idea 
because people who are asymptomatic can still be carriers of the virus and can still transmit it. Yeah. Uh, the WHO kind of issued a conflicting statement. Was it last week? Maybe. I don't know. Um, I've kind of stopped listening to the news to yeah. my sanity, but yeah. Yeah. Someone kind of came, someone from the WHO kind of came forward and was saying that risk of transmission, if you're asymptomatic is very low and really not something to worry about. And then they kind of quickly took that back. Took it yeah, because I was yeah. going to say, it seems like there's so many people that are asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. Like there was that news. I'm. I don't know if you saw, but like they tested a whole uh, prison. Uh, something like ninety percent of them were asymptomatic. That posted that were positive. T- or tested positive. Uh huh. So that's just like a little bit alarming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Is that what's like being seen, or or like I don't know? I guess with you're in the ICU, you're yeah. only seeing the very sick people. So for sure, there is different protocols for if a patient or someone that comes into the healthcare system tests positive. If they are stable and their oxygen needs are fine, they can go home and just self quarantine for two weeks and be retested. So we are seeing that. I I personally am not seeing those patients because I'm in critical care, but. I do know yeah. from colleagues who are working in the ER that, that that is happening quite a bit. Yeah. Even for things like someone will come in after a car accident just to get checked out and they'll take a chest x-ray and realize, oh, you have COVID also. Wow. Um, wow. And so when you go home, you need to quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. That's happening. So what do they tell you to do? Like if you have COVID but don't feel symptoms, are they like, hey, you need to get on, like take vitamin C like are there any like things they prescribe or do for people that are asymptomatic yeah so it's a lot of the supportive measures that you would do for the flu okay because it is a virus so an antibiotic is not going to be helpful in that situation because that's against bacteria specifically um so it's a lot of eating nutritious foods, making sure you're hydrated, vitamin C, like you were saying, um, you know, taking and whether that's whether you're taking like emergency supplements like those packets, or you're just supplementing with a multivitamin, getting plenty of rest. And kind of the biggest thing is staying away from people as much as you can, you know, disinfecting surfaces behind you. Um, washing your hands. I think it's over 90% of respiratory illnesses are killed when you wash your hands with soap and water. That's like the biggest, biggest thing. I know everyone's talking about masking and kind of whether or not to do that. But I think still there has, like, I don't want the emphasis to go away from hand washing. Like that's still step number one, whether you're going to wear a mask or not, however you feel about it washing your hands or using Germex is still super important. But yeah, if you're going to be home and quarantined, like self-quarantined for those two weeks, like those are kind of the measures that you would take. And then just monitoring your symptoms at home if they get worse. And there's kind of a list of things where if any of these should happen, we want you to come back to the ER or come back to um, your doctor's office. Right. Gotcha. So what precautions are you having to take? Like, obviously, after a long day, I'm sure, you know, you're coming home. Like, is there sp- like, obviously, you don't want to get your significant others sick. You yeah. know what I mean? So what are nurses and someone like you having to do? Yeah. So Blake has been really helpful in this. Um, we kind of have a system down whenever I come home, I, I text him whenever I leave the hospital. And then because 
I have like the the parking pad kind of out back at our house. So when I get home and park, you know, he's kind of waiting at the gate. He, you know, has the shower turned on and opens all the doors and stuff for me as I come home. So I, you know, touch nothing. (laughs) I come straight in my hospital bag and my hospital shoes. And then I have one jacket that I wear to the hospital. I have like a designated Rubbermaid bin that all of that stays outside the house. Gotcha. And then, you know, when I come in, he'll open the you know, open the washer and I just put all my scrubs and stuff straight in the washer and then, you know, just get straight in the shower and wow, wow. Just touch nothing until I'm yeah, clean. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. crazy. That's kind of Is been there... our system. Yeah. I'm like, it does sound like you would be, I mean, it's funny how when daily routines change in general, this is not even a great comparison, but when you have a kid, like all of these new routines are added into your life and Mm -hmm. it's so exhausting. Yeah. So I cannot imagine like that part. And then plus just all the emotions that you probably go through. Yeah. Does your hospital kind of provide mental health check-ins or help with, you know, we're all complaining about just being in quarantine, like not dealing with anything compared to, you know, people on the front line. So is there anything you're doing to kind of keep your mental health in check too? Yeah. So because I, because of the level of employment I am at both of my hospitals, because I'm contractor PRN, I don't have access to full benefits. So I think both Vandy and St. Thomas are offering like some form of counseling or debriefing um, yeah. for their full-time people, which is great. That's cool. Outside of that, um, companies like Headspace are offering, mm-hmm. um, I know when all of this, I think it was in March when they, mm-hmm. you know, sent out a release saying that all healthcare providers have access for free for the, for a full year. I know that wow, some other cool. services like BetterHelp, um, has done that as well, where they've offered, it was either like a, like an extended trial period or, um, just a longer amount of time for free for healthcare professionals. They're, there are definitely a lot of a lot of companies like that that were already dedicated to helping people improve their mental health that have stepped up during this time for healthcare providers and that's been really cool to see. Yeah. I know you, okay. Catherine, told me too. I feel like I don't know if this was for your mental health, but she mentioned to me before that like she's really taking care of her body right now. Yeah. Like not oh, drinking good. alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh right? Like yeah. you're kind of taking yeah. Yeah. I was doing, it was something that I had already thought about and had kind of planned to do after graduate school just to kind of get back in a routine. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, that kind of dovetailed with when COVID happened. Yeah. And so the focus went from doing it just to get back into a routine to doing it to really keep my body in the best shape that it can be um, and to really keep my immunity as high as it can be during this. So focusing on, you know, healthy and whole foods, not drinking alcohol, getting plenty of sleep, which for me, the not drinking alcohol helps with the sleep. Um, Yeah, I just feel like I sleep better in general when I'm not drinking and getting at least one workout in a day and that, you know, it's not anything hard or strenuous. I kind of just listen to my body with that, but whether it's like 30 minutes of yoga after my shift to unwind or, you know, a weight workout with the weights that I have at home, just, just things to keep my body healthy. I'm dealing with all this. 
That's good advice just for everybody. I think so many people are drinking a lot right now and it's yeah. not helping with much. You can't I think see it me, helps like my temporarily. <laughs> oh, that was me yeah. Yeah. for like a month. I was like, I can't drink anymore. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. when things are emotionally stressful, it's an easy, it's an easy way to go. Yeah. You know, it's kind of an easy thing to think of as an escape. My mom yes. is a counselor. And so she and I have had that conversation a lot that there are a lot of things yeah. that we think of as self-care. Like I'm just going to have a glass of wine and watch some Netflix and it's self-care. And like, really, is that actually self-care or do I need to have, you know, a liter of water and some vegetables and yeah. go to bed early? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's one that's of them. The is true definitely more fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I was going to ask too, but that I love that you said that because it's a good reminder for myself. I like it. <laughs> I'm going to start pushing myself a little harder. Do you see that there's a need for people to donate blood and is it safe to do so? Yeah, for sure. So that's one of the treatments that we're doing on our unit is it's called convalescent plasma. Have you all heard of that or familiar with that at all? I have not. So convalescent is just, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. So plasma is that liquid portion of your blood. It's if you ever go get a, um, like a facial or anything that has PRP, um, that's plasma. So that is rich in antibodies. And so that's the plasma portion. Convalescent is just a person who has convalesced, which is healed from the disease. So convalescent plasma is plasma from someone who has already recovered from COVID. And what that basically does is introduces antibodies into the person's system that is trying to combat that disease. It's similar to, it's, it's the same idea as passive immunity. So similar to what happens with infants when they're breastfeeding, that they get all of mom's antibodies and it helps, it helps sustain their immunity while they're in that delicate period of life before they can get immunizations to help boost their immunity that way they're protected through mom's antibodies through breast milk it's kind of a similar thing where when these critically ill patients are in that fragile phase they can get antibodies from that plasma to help them recover and to bolster their own immune system and that's time. what y'all are needing right now yeah. or so you can go you can go through Red Cross I know for sure and they will screen you to see if you have okay. antibodies and you can donate blood it's just like it's just like if you were to go donate a pint of blood on a normal basis they they separate it all out into the plasma and the red blood cell portions Um, And then the plasma part is what we use for our patients. But the limitations are really just the normal limitations for donating blood. You have to be within a certain weight range. Like I think you have to be like more than 110 pounds or something to donate. Okay. And they, I know, are limiting the number of people that can donate at a time for social distancing. Um, But other than that, yeah, really areas like that. They are always cleaning to a standard that would be protective from viruses like COVID. Okay. So the the risk in, at least from my perspective, I would say the risk of going and donating blood are similar to the risks that you're assuming when you're going to the grocery or going out in public. You know, if, if you are in a place yeah. where you feel comfortable doing those things, you would be comfortable going to donate blood. 
to donate. Mm-hmm. Got it. And I have know. a question. I feel like, or for me at least, when I think of ICU, I feel like it's probably just all older patients. Like everyone's probably over 70. Are y'all seeing more of a mix? Is it kind of people of all ages or is it more just the elderly? No, it's definitely a mix. I mean, even last week I admitted a patient who was in their 80s and I admitted a patient who is in her 20s. Yeah, you know, wow. like there's just a, there's a mix, you know, and we're seeing also a mix of some people who are, you know, pretty healthy, someone that we maybe wouldn't look at and think, oh, that person has a lot of comorbidities. Um, I know that's a word that we're hearing a lot now. Yeah. <laughs> and then there are some people that, you know, do have a lot of comorbidities and risk factors. So it, it really, it really is a mix. It's definitely, this is not something that is only affecting people who are elderly and people who are very ill at baseline. Right. Got it. Are they seeing like, a sh- are you like with your personal experience? I know what I read, but the recovery rate, is it better for somebody that is at baseline healthy or the- still the same? My experience has been people who are baseline healthier do improve more quickly. Okay. And, you know, people's, it, it's hard to generalize. Yeah. You know, two people can have the same illness and have very different courses of treatment, but just kind of thinking back on the patients that I've taken care of personally, a lot of the ones that that are getting well sooner are younger and have less comorbidities. Okay. And those patients can usually be discharged to the floor. Like they'll still stay in the hospital. They just don't necessarily uh-huh. need ICU level care. So they might still okay. be requiring more oxygen they might still be receiving, you know, supportive medications and such, but they're not in like eminent risk of needing a ventilator or something like that. Does gotcha. that make sense? Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. And when we were asking about the vitamin C, is there any other vitamins that we should be taking just as normal people in the world? I don't know. Normal is yeah. not the right word, but just as people in the yes. world. Um, that's a tricky one. You know, this is something that you know, we are learning about and there's new research that's coming out. I mean, yeah, more often than every day. It's it's been difficult to keep up with. So there have sure. been there have been studies about vitamin C. There have also been studies about vitamin D. Yeah. That that that, that can be a protective factor because yeah, I'm just taking all of them. Yeah, like, yeah me too. <laughs> yeah. Vitamin D, vitamin C, give them to me all. That's kind of the approach that that I'm taking again, because there is so much research coming out, you know, multiple times a day. Um, yeah, I've just been focusing on, you know, those things that I said, healthy food, getting plenty of rest, drinking plenty of water, yeah. taking my multivitamin. Yeah, you know, and until something comes out conclusively that's saying, hey, this is preventative. Um, I'm just going to keep, keep doing that. There's a, I know that everyone's routines are interrupted and I think that this is an area where it can be easy to, to maybe get stuck on one point or maybe like overcomplicate your routine or make things more difficult for yourself by trying to find the best, like staying on top of all the research and trying to find the best thing. Yeah. But for now, just for the sake of routine and you know sanity kind of yeah yeah I'm just sticking with what I know to do to keep my body healthy yeah. until there's something definitive right yeah I that think makes that's sense. good how would you suggest for people like us to most support you and others that are on the front line like what else you know can 
we do basically. Yeah. I think just, you know, checking in, which Kristen, you've been great about through all this, um, just kind (laughs) of, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. Yeah. And just kind of, you know, remembering your friends that are still in the hospital. A lot of um, restaurants and stuff in the community have actually stepped up and have been providing meals on some days for the COVID ICU, which has been really nice, you know, and those things are really helpful too, just to like have a good meal, especially, you know, some of the restaurants that are more like comfort food, Cracker Barrel has donated a lot of food. Um, (laughs) And that's been kind of nice, you know, to have like, you know, comforting meals and stuff. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of the biggest the biggest thing is just you know if you're a friend of someone who's working in healthcare right now just being there to listen being there to talk to them if they want to talk or give them some space if they need space and maybe yeah. food we all love food food yeah <laughs> food cures everything right yes. oh I, I love that, that. And why do you, I think one thing we had thought about asking is like, we keep hearing about like, we need to flatten the curve. Mm -hmm. And do you have any insight of why we need to flatten the curve? I don't know if that's a weird question, but no, that's a good kind of, okay. (laughs) That's definitely, it's something that for sure when this all first started was a big thing that everyone was saying, but not a lot of people were understanding. And basically when you, if you visualize just a bell curve in your head, that it's relatively like thin, I guess, but tall. And so with the, the, the time frame being shorter, but the number of illnesses being much higher. So yeah. the worry is that in that sort of a situation, infection, like rates of infections past a certain level would completely overwhelm the healthcare system. Gotcha. And so the idea of flattening the curve would be taking that bell curve and squishing it down so that this might last a little bit longer but trying to keep actual numbers of infection low enough that the healthcare system can support all of those patients. Okay, I get it. Kind of an example of what it looks like when the curve is not flattened is like what um, is going on in New York, where there, yeah. there are physically not enough beds to put people in. Yeah. You know, and th- that... Avoiding that situation is what flattening the curve means. Okay. So it, it, at least from my perspective, feels like we have done a decent job of that here in Nashville, that we, oh, we've had a lot of cases and we yeah. have been full, but it hasn't yeah. felt like, oh no, we have way more, we have way more coronavirus patients that need an ICU bed than ICU beds. It hasn't yeah. felt like that. That's good which I think is in part because hospitals did their best to prepare for the worst case scenario. You know, we have a whole overflow unit that's ready just in case. Um, Unfortunately, we haven't needed it, but if we did, it would be there. Gotcha. Oh, and by the way, the movie I couldn't think of is Outbreak, if y'all haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it. Maybe I'll have to watch it. Yeah, you'll have to watch it because that's what I picture. I'm like, oh, my God, we got to find the monkey. We got to get the diet, you know. (laughs) Oh, no. Once you watch it, you'll understand what I'm saying. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, sounds stressful. I don't think I want to watch it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe I'll wait till this is over to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So oh with Nashville, and I know in Texas things have opened back up, and I've kind of just been curious, and I have seen cases rising. Have mm-hmm. y'all seen an increase lately in the past few weeks in the hospital? Yeah, we have. I mean, really, I I particularly noticed it just in like the last two weeks that where we were starting to maybe not be completely full Mm -hmm. and we had a couple extra beds, we maybe weren't needing as many nurses to staff the ICU. Now we're kind of back at at full capacity and are needing full staffing. Dang. So they're they're rising. At this point, they seem to be rising at an expected rate. Um, Okay. And again, we're not at a spot where we've needed to open up overflow units yet, but it's something that we're being mindful of. And it's, it's another reason that a lot of people are still pushing that if you, even though things are opening, if you can stay home, stay home. Yeah. If you think that you've been exposed, please don't expose anyone else. Yeah. You know, and again, kind of going back to, you know, there's a lot that's going on in our nation right now. And even among the, you know, even among people who are out and who are protesting, um, at least in mm-hmm. Nashville, a majority of the people that I've seen are still wearing masks. Yeah. You know, which is, in a, at least in my perspective, is appropriate. You know, this is right. yeah. racial inequality in the U.S. is important. And you know, yes. being able to be out and to protest is important. But protecting the people around you is important, too. Yeah. You know, we won't see kind of increasing cases from that, at least for the next couple weeks. So we'll see if, if we have an increase, but just kind of based on, based on what I've seen in Nashville, it looks like a majority of people have been wearing masks and are trying to go about it in a way that's appropriate. So basically it's not going anywhere, unfortunately. And we, you know, we have to just, cause it does with everything opening and myself included, I've been like, I've been letting loose a little more and I'm just like, keep having to check myself. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good, good reminder. reminder. It's still here. Yeah. It's definitely still around. As much as we're all trying to will it away, guys. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is still here. Um, it does Ugh. feel a little bit like we're through that first initial wave. And I think a lot of people, you know, everyone that is able to work from home, you know, is working from home um, and those kind of yeah. changes and stuff. I'm hopeful will prevent us from having a larger spike like we did you know, yeah. in March and April. Yeah. But it is still around. So is there an antibody test that is like legit that we can take or do you know? Or no, That's not. So the, the antibody test is something they have to run on a sample of your blood in a lab. It's not something that you can do like at home. Okay. And I think that, that they are also doing that through Red Cross. I'd have to fact check that, to be honest. Okay. I know like several of the nurses that I have worked with that have it that have donated they have done uh, antibody testing through the hospital. Um, and I know okay. Vandy recently um, did antibody testing for all of their employees, which is a huge effort. So right. uh, they're awesome. still like getting results back from those. But I imagine they'll reach out to those healthcare workers who have antibodies to donate once they get all the all that testing back. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah, I believe that you can do it through Red Cross. Okay. Yeah, we can fact check that for sure and then include a link or something. Yeah. So once people in the ICU get the convalescent donation, do you see that it helps? Yes. Yeah. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And it doesn't That's cool. Um 
again, it's different than like if you get an immunization, like the flu shot, and your body sees that virus and makes its own antibodies. Uh-huh. That's called active immunity. And so with the convalescent plasma, that's passive, which is you only have – you get to basically borrow somebody else's antibodies for a short period of time. It doesn't cause your body to make any of their own antibodies. Okay. So it is something that it's not like they get it once and then they have those antibodies forever, uh-huh. which is why we're still needing donations because some people are needing more than one round. Got it. Okay. Good to know. So good. Awesome. This has been really um, helpful. I'm glad. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing, Catherine. I'm Thank just, you. you're a hero. Oh, yes, you are. Thank you. Don't forget it. <laughs> Thank you guys. I know. So and you're only, she literally just turned 28. You would think when you talk to her, she just sounds like she's like, I feel like she's older than me. She just said, <laughs> yeah. wise. <laughs> well, thanks guys. No, thanks for ha- coming. And so every episode, I don't, not to put you on the spot, mm-hmm. but we do offer like a challenge every week for ourselves and to our listeners. Oh, okay. So I was going to see if you maybe had a challenge for us and if anyone else wants to do it as well. Oh gosh, uh, a challenge. Well, <laughs> I'll do a small piece of kind of the challenge that I've been doing for just like health and wellness, um, which is drinking at least two yeah. liters of water a day. Hydration Got is- it super important and it's something that I think we all forget about so yeah maybe that can be my yeah. my challenge to you all is this week you know do your best to if not getting two liters just increasing your hydration and yeah focusing like on it. That. perfect I go through like waves I'll do really good one week and then horrible the yeah next. so this I is do that in good timing because I think I did <laughs> I did really bad this week with water yeah. Yeah. so and I'm like a water lover, so it's always surprising yeah. to be bad, but back on the train Perfect. this week. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you all for um, having me. All right, guys. Well, I guess we'll see you next week. <laughs> yes. Okay. Bye. Bye.